Today's gospel text is from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Follow along as I read. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Last fall, one of our church members approached me after the worship service, during the greeting time, and, and said, and I paraphrase, I just love it when you give the historical, contextual background of the Scripture lesson when you're preaching. And thank you for explaining the Greek and the Hebrew. You have me on the edge of my seat whenever you do that. And I just wanted to thank you, tell, me how, tell you how much I appreciate it. Within a couple of weeks of this occurrence, I received a wonderful personal handwritten note from another church member. It too was a compliment on a recent sermon. And again, I paraphrase, Dear Bob, thank you so much for your sermon last Sunday. It was the best I've heard you preach since you've been our pastor. You were focused, you made your point very clear, And you didn't spend time on all of those Greek and Hebrew words and all of that historical background. (laughs) So I say thank you to all of you who provide encouragement and honest feedback on the messages. I honestly appreciate it, even if it's an area where I need to grow. In fact, I'd I'd rather have that kind of feedback, an area to help me grow. I encourage you to continue to help me engage with God's Word and to provide sermons that might provide life-changing information to people who are gathered here. It's a reminder that no matter whether the sermon is a verse-by-verse exposition of a sermon text or if it's a narrative storytelling way to communicate the gospel, or perhaps if it's traditional hymnody as we sing in worship, or upbeat rock and roll kind of music like we do at the Awakening, there's something for everyone. And our hope is that the gospel is read, proclaimed, is proclaimed, read, and heard. 
Every one of us, my hope that, every one of us would come to worship expecting to learn and experience something new. So for those of you who do enjoy a little bit of the history and contextual background, get on the edge of your seats. But for those of you who'd rather just avoid that, hang in there. The Super Bowl's coming. Okay? A little history and context. In the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, He intentionally chose Capernaum in Galilee as the center or the home base of His ministry. It was a seaside city and had a densely populated, it was densely populated, a distinct Jewish population with all of the religious background that you might imagine. It was the guiding force in daily life. But there was also a significant Greco-Roman population and pagan religious practice that influenced city life, architecture, and culture. Capernaum was in Palestine, which was divided into the three main provinces, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. Galilee was called Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee is where Jesus spent most of His public ministry. He was intentional and strategic because He knew that there was a diverse population and that He was called not only to reach the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. The Gospel was for all people. Of His 32 parables, 19 were spoken in Galilee. Of His 33 great miracles, 25 were performed there. He preached the Sermon on the Mount in Galilee, and He was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration there as well. He had come with a message that was for all people, Jew and Gentile alike, and Galilee presented the best opportunity for Him to be in close proximity to people who needed to experience the good news. He went to synagogues throughout Galilee and taught His message. In verse 15, Luke reports that everyone praised Him. Good sermon, Rabbi! I love it when you do the storytelling, especially the story of how Moses led the people through the divided waters of the Red Sea into the desert toward the land of promise. I could listen to you tell the story of Joseph and his brothers all day long. Nice teaching this evening, Rabbi. Although it is a little confusing when you go back and talk about Leviticus, I really don't understand half the stuff that's in there, but well done anyway. Jesus taught in the synagogues because they were the center of the community. It was customary, according to Jewish practice, that there would be a synagogue in every community where there were ten men or more who could gather. In small towns, they'd meet in a house. In larger villages and cities, they would build a building. And many archaeologists have found ancient synagogues and are available for people who are there on tour to see. There would be a simple order of worship, sort of like what we do in church. They would recite the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. Shema means to hear. The first word in the passage, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. They would recite the Shema together and Jesus would do that. They would pray facing Jerusalem and each day they had different prayers that they would recite. They would read the Torah, one of the readings from the first five books of the Old Testament, usually one verse at a time, and they would read the entire Torah over a period of three years. There would be a reading of the prophets, sometimes a paragraph or sometimes a whole section. That's what Jesus did that day. There'd be a blessing of the priest, translation of the Scripture as it was read from Hebrew into Aramaic or Greek whenever was needed, and then a teaching or a discourse on one of the passages. There are also offerings called alms, A-L-M-S, alms, almsgiving, and those monies were to go to help the people in leadership positions in the synagogue and also to help the poor. So Jesus goes to Nazareth in Galilee. Luke tells us that he went to the synagogue there and he had been raised in that place. It was the home of Joseph and Mary and they had also returned there with Jesus after their sojourn in Egypt. It was the town where Jesus lived, worshipped, played in the streets, heard his mother call him home when it was time for dinner. It was where he was apprenticed by his father as a carpenter, where he would learn to make furniture and tools and farm implements. One day, Jesus entered the synagogue there as it was his custom. Literally, it was his habit. Ever since he was small, he knew no different. And I look around this room and I see children and youth here in worship with their families and it warms my heart because when you are raising your children up in corporate worship and church is something important to you, it will not separate from them. They will, it will be part of their fabric. It will become habit as it was for Jesus. He went to worship in the synagogue because it was his habit. And when it came time to join in the prayers, he did, and he heard the reading of the law. And then when it came for the time of the reading of the prophets, he stood up. And the attendant in the synagogue handed him the scroll. He unrolled it, found the particular passage in Isaiah that was either supposed to be read or that was on his heart, I believe the latter, and began to read out loud. By the way, reading Scripture aloud is a priority in our church. Every Sunday, we, in both services, we make the effort intentionally to have the reading of Scripture out loud so that the people of God can hear it. You, should, you and I should do that at home. I wish I did it at home more often. This morning in my quiet time, I, did it in, I, I read Scripture aloud to practice what I preach. It's powerful. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus read, because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the Jubilee year. That part of it's actually found in Leviticus. Jesus added that to what He had read from Isaiah. When He finished the reading, He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and He sat down. When it was time for the translation, it came, 
You might call it then a sermon or a discourse. And verse 21 tells them that Jesus began telling them, today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he read from the text, sat down, there was an interpretation in the appropriate languages, and then Jesus began to teach them or to preach a teaching message. And he said today he began. That means there was a lot more said than what Luke records for us. Today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We can take this to mean that after the Scripture was read aloud, Jesus began to teach its meaning. He was telling the people there in his hometown that he was the one Isaiah was pointing to. This Messiah passage wasn't for someone who would come later in history in a military fashion, conquering the enemy, restoring Israel to their uh, appropriate heritage and history and overthrowing the Romans. No, he didn't do that at all. Rather, he said, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Some of the people praised him. If you look at verse 22, some were delighted. They were amazed. But if you continue on in reading in the chapter, verse 22b and 28 through 30, right there in his hometown, some rejected him. Nice sermon, Rabbi, from some. We need to talk from others. I'd like for us to spend the rest of our time together reflecting on what Jesus said in this verse where He says this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then I want to focus on how um, we respond. What do we do with that? Commentators write that Jesus is reflecting in this passage back to His baptism where the Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove. You remember we talked about that just recently. And that His baptism was His anointing into public ministry. God had sent Him into the world to announce salvation to all people. That all people were to be included in the family of God. His message was good news to the poor. People who didn't have anything to their name, yes. But there were also the working poor who tried to scrape a living day by day. We are called to minister to the poor as well. There are some who are on the streets and we minister and the way that we do, caritas is one of the forms that, uh, we, where we serve. But there are other ways we help the poor. For example, there are some who are the working poor. One or two paychecks away from poverty. One or two paychecks away from the streets. Many of the people who have been affected by the government shutdown fall into that category. I have seen story after story of people who work for our government who are going to food banks because they don't have the cash flow to buy groceries for their family. I've seen another story of a woman who worked at a federal prison and she could not afford the gas to drive her one-hour commute to the prison from her home. And there are others who are forced to work and who are taking second jobs. Many people around us are a few paychecks away from being in deep trouble. So we can see this as part of what Jesus is saying to us as we live right here in our area. We have, have a heart for the poor. 
Freedom through the imprisoned. Physically imprisoned, yes, but spiritually imprisoned as well. Recovery of sight to the blind. Physical healing, but also spiritual healing. And release of the oppressed. Literally, that word means the brokenhearted. We would translate that perhaps as the downtrodden, the marginalized, the left out, and the overlooked. And we proclaim, Jesus says, the year of the Lord's favor. This was the Jubilee year, the 50th year celebration, where in the Old Testament times, all debts were forgiven, all slaves were freed, and properties returned to their rightful owners. For Jesus to assert that the Jubilee year was inaugurated with His arrival is to focus on the forgiveness of all debts, all sins that the Messiah brings. And you know, this is where He would be criticized and condemned for blasphemy because He claimed to be God and to forgive sins. You see that later in in the Scriptures. Jesus said that the fulfilling of this prophecy came not in His reading, but He said in your hearing in the people's hearing and I believe the same exists for us today the message of Jesus as Messiah Lord Savior Redeemer forgiver of friends of sins friend to all is fulfilled not in my reading of this part of Luke chapter 4 but it is fulfilled in your and my hearing as the spirit works deeply within us as his word is brought into our mind. And the question is, what will we do with what we've heard? Paul helps us in 1 Corinthians 12 because all of us have a part to play. Each believer has a unique and special part to play in the body. And he, verse 12, he writes, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we were all given one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. And then back in 27 and following, he continues, Now you are the body of Christ. You and me, HRBC, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, people sent, second, prophets, third, teachers, then people who can bring about miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? We would say, no. Are all prophets? We would say, no. Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? Or do all interpret? No. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. He's saying, play your part. And after this, he shows us how to do it. And he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way, and that is love. Everything that we say and do as we participate in the body of Christ, playing the unique part we are called to play, like these deacons have modeled for us today, we do out of love. And let's listen to the way that Eugene Peterson shares parts of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, well known as the, the love chapter. 
If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I have gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love never cares for others. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps on going to the end. That's what love does. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus' message is to be fulfilled in us when we hear His words and put them into practice. When we play our part in the body of Christ and do so out of love, seeking nothing in return. God is asking each of us to put ourselves aside and to play our part in His church, the incarnate presence of Christ in this world, the way that God has chosen to reconcile the world unto Himself and to reconcile people to one another. Let's think about it in today's terms. Think about football for just a minute. If you were to go to Super Bowl 53 next weekend in Atlanta... Do you know how much money you'd spend? There are tickets, transportation, food, lodging, entertainment, all that stuff. A CNBC article that I read online this week says nearly we would spend $16,000. Last week, the cheapest tickets on StubHub were selling for $3,300. One company offers a complete package, five seats, five rows back seats, pregame party, meet and greet, postgame celebration, the cost $15,925 per person, plus all the other expenses. That doesn't include lodging, transportation, food, entertainment, all that stuff. Bottom line is this. To go to the Super Bowl costs something. They don't sugarcoat it. If you're going, you're going to shell out some bucks. There's an expectation. When someone makes a commitment to go to the Super Bowl... There are expected costs. If you have season tickets to any athletic team, there's a cost. There's expectations. You'll follow through with that. It's part of being a fan. It's part of it. To be a follower of Jesus Christ costs something. There's an expectation when someone makes a commitment to follow Jesus, they're expected cost. It's just part of being a disciple, and we don't sugarcoat that here, nor should we. It's part of it. It will cost you and me time. We will have to choose our priorities. We will have to make a financial commitment to God's church. We will often experience some kind of adversity. We will often have to take a stand for something that is not comfortable. We will often step up for the underdog. We will take a stand for justice and for what is right, which can be unpopular. 
And we will often struggle with following through on the commitments that we make, but we know that we must do it because we are called and we have a part to play in the body of Christ. So Jesus in the synagogue on that day didn't sugarcoat what His purpose was. And today, His calling is fulfilled in our hearing, but more than that, in our doing. The gospel is fulfilled in our hearing. The gospel is fulfilled in our practice. The gospel is fulfilled when we play our part. The gospel is fulfilled in love. Let us pray. Lord, it is so good to be in this place today. And Lord, we thank You for Your love for us and for trusting us with kingdom responsibilities and for the wonderful way that You've created Your church as a body and that You've given each one of us a unique part to play in it. Help us to know our part. These deacons responded to a call and You have set them apart for ministry. There are others in our congregation who are sure and comfortable with the role they're playing, but there are others who might not know. They might not have that confidence. Lord, help us to take steps to understand how we can play our part in this Your body. Part of that may be to make a decision for Christ for the very first time. And so today, if that's You, we invite You to come. Or if you've been praying about a church family and you sense God leading you to HRBC, maybe that will happen today. Or right where you are, if you have an appointment with God, as we sing, God, I pray that you would just work and hear what's on his or her mind. We offer our prayers and dedicate this invitation time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.